Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about Peter's seven-stage progression through being broken of his human strength. I will not deny you. I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. And then bam, 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 all the way through to seven times, he ends up denying him, fleeing, and then being broken and weeping out there outside the gate. And uh, we talked about how Naaman was given the responsibility or he was given the command to go dip in the Jordan River to heal himself, be, be healed of his leprosy. And it was such a simple command, but his pride got in the way. And he would not let go of his human strength. And he wheeled his chariot around and headed back to Samaria. And his servant said, if Elisha had asked some major great thing of you, wouldn't you not have done that? How little of a thing just to go dip in the Jordan River. And he humbled himself and he stepped out in faith in the word of the Lord and he obeyed and he was healed. And then we tied that into 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people call by my name, will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways and they'll pray, I'll heal their land. And so we know what to do. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. And so we have to come to the end of our human strength before we say, I'm going to do it God's way. And so I want to piggyback off of that today. And the word on my heart all week has just been straight paths, straight paths. And so uh, Mark chapter one, if you would go there with me just for a moment, we'll go to a few other scriptures after this. And I want to finish up Lord willing with telling you a story. It's a fascinating story out of the book of Acts. Mark chapter one. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. First verse, the Son of God. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Talking about John the Baptist coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so here we have at Jesus' first coming, John the Baptist preparing the way. And here we have, in this last hour here, we have the John the Baptist call. We have the spirit of Elijah here in this last hour saying, Prepare the way for the Lord. We sang about it this morning. Jesus is coming. And this is what's required. And this is what's going to happen to his people before he comes a second time. Straight paths must be made for him. What does that mean? Well, what that meant at the time of John the Baptist and what it means now is that he's straightening every part of our heart through repentance. What he's doing is he's taking crooked paths that we've walked on and he's straightening them because the spirit and the bride must say come and the bride will be a radiant bride, pure and spotless. And so we're done with crooked ways as a bride, just like they were called to repentance back then. We're called to repentance and say, Lord Jesus, come. I set my eyes straight away, the shortest distance between two points, straighten my heart, Lord Jesus. I don't want crooked paths. So you remember Proverbs chapter 3, 4, Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Or he is going to make straight your paths. Or he will make righteous your paths. He's going to put you on righteous paths for his namesake. We all know that verse. Every time I lean on my own understanding, what kind of paths do I get? Crooked, every time. 
Every time. Might not be right at that moment, and it might actually look like the most quick, the, the quickest path, but it's actually not. Every single time I lean on my own understanding instead of acknowledging him in all my ways, I get a crooked path. But every time I acknowledge him in my way, then I get a straight way to walk in, even if it looks like I'm going backwards in the eyes of the world. So he's calling us to change our way of walking. He's calling us to give up our human strength, relying on our own wits and wisdom. And in this last hour, he's saying, call out for me to teach you the path that you should take. Call out for me to teach you. Who's the teacher, everybody? Capital T? Holy Spirit. I love 1 John 2. Go, go to your right with me, if, if you would. This is such a beautiful passage. I, I, I preach it all the time. 1 John 2. So helpful. Go to verse 20 with me. But you have, you all people, if you're a believer here today, sealed with the Holy Spirit, this is what you have. You don't got to earn it. This is what you have. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Even if you're not living like it, you know the truth. Look with me in verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received, past tense, from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone, any man, any woman to teach you anything. You don't need anybody to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, look at that present tense, his anointing is teaching you all about all things. And as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Now, his anointing is teaching you about how many things, everyone? All things. He has an opinion about everything the Holy Spirit does. He is the capital T teacher. I'm teaching you this morning as a lowercase teacher, but you really don't need me. In fact, you can get more knots untied by going and spending an hour in the Lord's presence this week than by listening to me for five minutes. You can get more knots untied by having a discipline of sitting in the presence of the Lord. After a month, you'll see how much he's transforming you just by listening to the anointing from within you, putting your eyes on him. The Lord just loves us so much. He wants us to take straight paths. He, want us, he wants us to avoid the chaos that we bring into our lives. He wants us to avoid that. In this world, you will have trouble. Sometimes in this world, you'll have trouble that you caused for yourself, that you didn't need to have, but you'll have it. The Lord says, I want to prevent that for you. Paul had plenty of trouble. He had trouble from the enemy attacking him. But I tell you, Paul had some straight paths. He was going where the Lord was going. It was beautiful to watch him. We'll talk about that story here in just a minute. You remember, he's called the spirit of truth. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, what happened to Israel, 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written down for our instruction. And the things that happened to the people of Israel were warnings for us that we might not do what they did. Well, one of the things that happened to Israel in the wilderness is that they followed a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Don't flip there, but look up on the screen with me in Nehemiah chapter 9. I love this. I love this passage. It's so informative into a New Testament reality, what the, what the Lord's doing with his people. Nehemiah chapter 9. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon the Israelites in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path. 
nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. Pillar of cloud guided them. Pillar of fire, it shined on their way. It enlightened the way. And then he sums it up like this. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Now, that's what the children of Israel had. That was written down for our instruction. That's given to us to warn us and to give us an example of what the Christian life looks like. We have the pillar that guides us by day. It lights up our path in the night watches. And we have his good spirit to instruct us, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, this is the straight path. Don't take crooked paths anymore, follow after me. And so as we grow in wisdom, we learn to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. My brother-in-law and I were talking yesterday afternoon just about how it's so clear what I believe the Lord is doing in this last hour by raising up spiritual fathers in the faith. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's like, you've got 10,000 guides in Christ, 10,000 tutors, 10,000 nannies or instructors, but you have so few fathers in the faith, so few of them. And that grieved Paul's heart. And why is that? Well, because fathers make sons through the gospel. Fathers, they, they do it in this location called in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father in the faith, in the gospel, through the gospel. And then how do they do that? They say, imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what I do with my boys, Right? We do the, the playing, we do the spanking, we do the hot sauce for talking back. I'm imitating me. Watch me, pray with me, boys. Watch me. Watch how I live out this life in weakness, in brokenness, and I have to repent of my bad attitude sometimes, and I'm, I'm showing them how to interact with the Holy Spirit. We just did it the other night. With my, I love it. We just did it. We did a little Bible study the other night. Youth group was canceled, so I, st- I tried to fill Chris's shoes with my kids. I'm like, here we go. I can't play as, as fun as Chris can or can't run as fast, but here we go. And we studied the, the curtain being torn in two. Sorry, this is an aside here. The curtain being torn in two. Why is that? Well, because the curtain in Exodus 26 separated the most holy place from the holy place. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was ripped in two so that what's inside could come outside. And so then we did just what Brian did up here with us. I said, okay, kids, we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a moment. I want you to close your physical eyes and open the eyes of your heart. And I want you to look upon Jesus' face because he's in you right now. My babies, he's in you. Look on his face and let him speak into your heart. Listen to his voice. So we just waited for five minutes. It was really great. Well, I was just fathering them as I've been fathered, as I've learned. That's it. But what I could do is I could stand here and preach 10,000 sermons to my kids about what they ought to do or the revelation I got and never lead them to the one who's giving them a revelation in the first place. And that's a loss. And that's a loss. So today, I want to do more than just unpack revelation that I got in my, my cool quiet time. I want to lead you in how did I get this revelation? How do we get it? How do we get what the Lord has for us? How do we go deeper? And I tell you, in this last hour, you remember at the end of the English Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, 6, it says, in the great and terrible day of the Lord, before that, he'll send Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah, and he'll come and there's going to be a turning of the hearts of the fathers to their sons. 
or the parents to their children. And there's going to be a turning of the hearts of the children back to their parents. I'm telling you, in this last hour, this is how we make disciples. Dads, listen to me. Moms, listen to me. Listen. Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Let's say it again. Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. The capital T teacher teaches you about all things. I cannot teach my kids about every verse in the Bible. I'm not smart enough. I don't have a good enough memory. What I can do, dads, is I can lead them to the teacher who's teaching them about all things, all day, every day. He's got an opinion. Where to go, what to say, what to do. Spirit of heaviness, be lifted off. I'm gonna proclaim your goodness. I'm teaching them. I'm, imi- I'm having them imitate me. I even did it this morning. I, I put on a garment of praise and a spirit of heaviness is lifted off and the oil of gladness. That's teaching. I'm teaching them how to do that in the Holy Spirit. So, God just loves us so much. He just loves you. Here's the deal. Um, Like, when somebody stands up here and they're like, look at all this revelation. Look what the Lord spoke to me. I know how that feels sometimes. It's like, well, yeah, you got that. But sometimes when I'm reading my Bible, I don't get that. It's just kind of in one ear, not the other ear. And that's great for you. That's awesome. Good sermon, got the revelation, but it didn't do much in me. Like, I want that, but I don't know how to go get that. So I I, want to do more than just tell you what. I want to tell you how. So early on, when I started reading my Bible, I got a verse stuck in my heart. And I don't know if somebody told it to me or if I just ran across it when I was reading one day. But I started praying this passage every single time before I would open my scriptures. And it's Psalms 119, 18. Psalms 119, 18. Oh, 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 uh, go there with me if, if you would, guys. I just think this is such a powerful, helpful reminder for us. Psalms 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see or behold wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes. Give me spiritual revelation. Give me understanding of spiritual truth that I could see with the eyes of my heart. I could behold these miraculous teachings, the instruction in your law. Okay, so what, is this, what does this tell us when you're approaching your Bible this afternoon or tomorrow morning, when you're approaching your reading? What this tells us is that by nature, you and me are blinded to the things of God's law. We can't see it. It's impossible. This is why Pharisees could read the Bible through and through and know every verse and crucify Jesus. You, can know, you could read the Bible all day long, but unless you have revelation of the man in the Bible, you've missed the whole point. So, so we're blinded naturally to the things in his word, and we need revelation to understand it in the first place. These things are hidden in the Bible from wise and intelligent people. These things are revealed to people like who? Who are they compared to? Children, babies. For this was your good and perfect will. This was his desire. So I got to show up with childlike faith. And I love Keith Green said, pretend you're reading every single day as if the Lord has given you a specific 
word out of his scriptures to read. When you crack open your Bible, when you're in Mark chapter 1 and tomorrow morning you're in Mark chapter 2, imagine and believe that the Lord has a specific word for you in Mark chapter 2 that day. He's speaking to you. So you're like, Lord, if you're speaking, I want to do more than just check this off my box for my Bible reading. I want to hear what you're speaking. And so when you get a little bit of revelation, when you get a little bit of light, it shines more light. And it shines more light and more light. And that's what we need. So I want to encourage you this week to pray Psalms 119.18. When you open your Bible and say, Lord, open my eyes that I can see it. And don't forget, even Jesus, when he healed the blind man, he said, how, do you, how does it feel now? What, is, what do you see? And after he healed him the first time, he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking around. It's like, okay, let's go back and do it again. And so we gave him better eyesight, right? So sometimes we don't always see clearly the first time around. We got to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. The Lord has more for us. The more he opens our eyes, the more wonder we see in his word. There's depths to every single word in the scripture, and we can never plumb the bottom of them. Okay, all scriptures God breathed. Everything in the Bible is a red letter thing. Did you know that? It's real popular to say, well, yeah, I'm a red letter Christian. What Jesus said, I'll listen to, but Paul and some of the sins he points out and stuff and some of the other disciples and apostles, I don't know about that. I'm a Jesus person. I'm like, then you don't know your Bible because all scripture is God breathed and it's useful for rebuking, training, correcting in righteousness. The man of God might be equipped for every good work. Every word in here is a red letter word. Every story. There's not one word misplaced in the Bible. Did you know that? So every time there's a story there, it's super duper important that we pay attention to why that story is there. Why are you saying that? Open my eyes that I can behold wonders in this story today. So today I'm talking about straight paths. When I choose to lean on my understanding, I get crooked ones. When I choose to wait on him and acknowledge him, yes. There's a beautiful story in Acts chapter 27. And I want to unpack that for you for a few minutes here. <clears throat> I don't want to just say this to you. I want you to know I got to Acts 27 a few months ago. I've been waiting to preach this. And I'm like, man, I've read the shipwreck story a thousand times unfold wonders to me as I read this story. Unpack wonders to me about this story. And on the thousand and one time, I got some things I want to share with you here today. It's just a beautiful story. It's incredible. Okay, so look up on the screen with me, if you would, at this, um, at this map. This is Paul's fourth missionary journey, and it kind of shows what happened. So as we read through this story together, uh, I want you to pay attention to, to where he started from, down there at Jude, uh, Jerusalem and Caesarea. He goes to Sidon, he goes up to the north, he goes to Lycia and Myra, up by Rhodes, and down to the island of Crete, and he's in Fair Havens. And then some, something happens there we're going to talk about, but then they get blown out to sea in this horrible storm, and they end up shipwrecking all the way, 585 miles away, on Malta. And some cool things happen there. And then, because the word of the Lord said, you will go to Rome and you'll stand before the king. You will pro proclaim in Rome. He got to Rome all the way. This is his fourth and last missionary journey we have recorded in the scriptures, okay? So I kind of want you to put yourself where Paul is in this boat 
and in this story, and get a Bible if you would, guys. If there's, there should be Bibles in front of you, but if you have it on your phone, that's great. But man, I just, I'd love for you to see some connection points as we're reading through this here together, because I, I think more than the story, I want you to understand the Lord has deep and wonderful things in every story. Again, last week we talked about Naaman dipping in the Jordan River. You could preach a thousand sermons about that. And there's a thousand more sermons in this little passage here. Okay, so this is going to take a few minutes, but hang with me. We're going to read through this story, okay? And you, and you might know it, um, and I might summarize a couple different spots in here, but, uh, but hang with me here. Okay, so Paul, it's decided that we would sail for Italy to go to Rome. And Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. Pay attention to this guy in the story. This is a centurion guarding Paul who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. They boarded this ship uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of province of Asia. They went out to sea. Uh, verse three, the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius in kindness to Paul allowed him to go to his friends for they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found, pay attention, an Alexandrian ship, it's very important, sailing for Rome, for Italy, and he put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of Sindus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed off the lee of Crete, opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Okay, so the story is getting set up here because it said with difficulty, with difficulty, with difficulty. What does that mean if you're on the open sea and you're running into difficulty? You're going fast or slow? That's correct. It's very important. So here's the setup in verse 9. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. Winter was coming. So here we have a setup for hurry and worry. Much time had been lost. We got to make up time. Sailing is dangerous because of the winter months, so we ought to be worried about sailing, okay? Perfect setup for us to make really bad decisions and lean on our own understanding. Every day, all day, we're getting set up with hurry and worry. So Paul discerns this, and he gives them warning number one. Paul warned them, men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and our own lives also. But the centurion, Julius, instead of listening to the, what Paul said, he followed the advice of who? The pilot and the owner of the ship. Who had been at sea more than Paul? The pilot and the owner of the ship. Who was smarter? The pilot and the owner of the ship, according to human reasoning. Paul's a missionary guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to take the advice, and human reason tells me this is the smart move. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix in winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Here we go. When a gentle south wind began to blow, oh, that's a good sign because sometimes when we follow our own understanding, there's an initial breakthrough. Yeah, I knew it. A gentle south wind is coming. They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. They were even being careful. Sailing along the shore with your anchor down is a careful, cautious, conservative thing to do. 
But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it. We were driven along. We passed the lee of a small island called Claudia, hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So what they do? They hoisted it aboard. They did everything they could. They passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the anchor and let the ship be driven along. They took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When either sun or star appears for many days and the storm continued raging, they did what? Gave up all hope. Okay, so let's summarize where we're at real quick. Paul discerned that they were being moved by fear and worry and anxiety, and he gave them a warning prophetically. Don't do this. It's a bad call. Don't lean on your own understanding. They did. I've never actually leaned on my understanding, but maybe you know what this is like personally in your life. When, when, when you all have lay, leaned on your own understanding, maybe there's a little bit of a breakthrough that comes at the beginning. You're even cautious about it. You all buy the car and get upside down and take a payment that's more than I can afford, but I'm sure it'll all work out. And then the car actually runs great and all your friends are like, good job on your car. And there's this, yeah. But then all of a sudden, the engine and then the front end, and, and my job, my hours, and I can't afford the, ah, what do I do? And we're just driven along. And so we start to toss things out of the boat as much as we possibly can to get free from this storm. Nothing sets us free. So we give up hope. We finally, after we've been battered and battered and battered, we give up hope. What comes right after that? Well, right after we give up on our own human strength, Paul stands up before them and says, men, verse 21, you should have taken my advice. It's not wrong to face the facts and say, you know what? The Lord loves me, but I should not have done what I did. That's okay to do that, right? Let's be honest. Let's not lie and be like, oh, it was probably the Lord leading me and then to get that loan. And I'm sure, I'm, you know, he's teaching me and that was his will. No, it wasn't his will. Don't, don't, don't do that. Just, just acknowledge that that wasn't smart and you should have taken the Lord. Anyway, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have, look at this, spared yourselves this damage and loss. I would love to go back and spare myself in my 20s all the damage and loss I caused. Wouldn't you? What about your 30s? I would love to go spare myself some of the things I brought on myself. In this world, you will have trouble, but that doesn't mean you have to have the stuff you put on yourself. That's the truth. But now, listen, forget about it. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Because the truth is what you started in the flesh has to come to a crashing halt. You got, this ship that you're on now has to be disintegrated because you need a new ship. Last night, an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you all the lives who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. The ship is going to be destroyed. Face the facts. Stay on the boat. You'll be safe. Okay, so you got a warning. They leaned on their own understanding. They got battered. They gave up all hope. And then here comes the word of the Lord, the encouragement to them. The ship's going to be destroyed. Well, you thought they were going to learn, 
But the exact same thing happens right after this. The exact same progression happens right after this. Look at verse uh, 27. On the 14th night, we're still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. And about midnight, the sailors, since they were approaching land, they took soundings, found the water was 25 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again, found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, they leaned on their own understanding. They let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Paul steps in again with a warning. Hey, 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 you're leaning on your own understanding again. Remember what happened the first time you did that? Listen, this is the warning. I'm saying to the centurion, Paul says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. It's a fair warning for you. Now, Paul's gonna be saved no matter what. These men will not be saved if they don't heed his warning. Here they are again, leaning on their understanding. So what do they do? This time they're a little faster. They cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and gave up all hope. They let it drift away. Now, what happened last time after they gave up hope? Paul spoke a word of encouragement. What happens this time after they give up hope? Paul speaks a word of encouragement. Listen to what he says to them. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave it to them, gave thanks to God in front of all. He broke it and began to eat. They were encouraged. They ate some food themselves. There's 276 people on board. And then the ship crashes and they swim to safety and not one of them dies. Exact same scenario, twice. Why was this written down? For our instruction, so that we could learn. This is how we do life. Don't lean on your own understanding. Okay, I will. I'll lean on my understanding. Crooked path, shipwreck, storm. Okay, God, I'm sorry I did that. I repent, I turn. What comes? His gentle word of encouragement. Not condemnation, but his love, his kindness that comes to us. Because look here, what happens? After the discipline, they run ashore on Malta. And look with me in chapter 28. Right off the bat, what happens when they washed up on the shore? Verse two, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining. Look in verse seven. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of land. He welcomed us into his home and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. Look at verse 10. They honored us in many days and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. So what did they get? They got unusual kindness. And that's what the Lord gives us. They, they actually got some amazing hospitality. It's what the Lord does for us. They got honor and they got fresh supply. So after the shipwreck, after the discipline, they get all of this grace from the Lord. In fact, there were some miracles that happened. The Lord takes everything and works it to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look what happened in verse eight. There was, uh, the man's father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So God wins with any hand he's dealt with. And so the Lord maybe had the idea in mind to have them wait and go there after the wintertime and land on Malta and heal all these people and do that. But he still worked it out. And even in the shipwreck and even the mistakes, he got the healing that came to the island. He raised people up on the island 
of Malta. It's a beautiful thing. After they get this unusual kindness, look what happens. They get a divine redo. Verse 11 of chapter 28. Stay with me here, almost done. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was, what kind of a ship? Alexandrian ship. Didn't have to be that. The Holy Spirit just put that in here to be like, this is a divine redo. I'm giving them fresh supplies and a new ship to sail on. But it's the same type of ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. What were they? Well, they were Zeus's twin sons. They were supposedly the deity watchers of the ocean. They guarded sailors in the ocean. So what was, this was a sign that they were going under new protection, that they were coming under God's protection here on this new ship. Look at this. Verse 13, from there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, what kind of wind came up? South wind. Fresh. Again, he's just repeating the same thing over. He's like, okay, we failed the first time. Here's the second time. A south wind came up and took them at the end of verse 14, and so we came to Rome. You know, some of you guys are in part one of this story. Some of you guys are in part two of this story. I want to encourage you, there's, 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 there's on the upfront or you're in the middle of it, or you're on the back side of it, wherever you're at. Number one, are you tempted to lean on your own understanding right now? Are you standing there at this fair haven's port and the pilot in your life and the ship owner in your life is saying, listen to me, this is not the place to be. It's time to sail. We got a south wind. But you know, you got this nagging voice and the Holy Spirit's like, no, it's time to wait. It's time to wait. I want to encourage you to not lean on your own understanding right now. Stop trying to come up with the best ideas and wisdom through the counsel of other people. Paul says, I initially did not confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go get a poll. This is not a democracy where I say, what do the majority of people think we should do? Because it says the majority of people on that ship said, yeah, let's sail. That, they took a vote. We don't do that. It's a one-man opinion, Jesus. So I'm encouraging you to spare yourself much damage and loss. Don't take a disastrous voyage of leaning on your own understanding that will bring great loss of ship, cargo, and lives. Wait for the straight path, even if it seems slower. That's if you're standing on the edge of this decision. What if you're sitting here today and you already made the decision, and you're out in the middle of the Adriatic Sea, and you're just getting beat up right now. And you're in a storm right now, and everything's getting battered in your life. And you're like, I know it was because of this decision back here. I know it. I'm acknowledging that fact. Well, if you're in the storm, then I want to encourage you to stop trying to get out of the storm. Stop trying to jettison all of the gear on a boat in the attempts of getting free from the storm. It won't work. Instead, give up all hope that you can ever give yourself out and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation and listen for that encouraging word. Listen for the word of the Lord that's going to come. And he might even say, this ship has to sink. He might tell you that. You know what? This relationship you're in has to sink. This job you're in, this financial decision. Lizzie and I bought a car one time Dumbest decision, stupid high interest rate. We were really good at doing that back in the day. Stupid high payments. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm trying to make this work, but we can't afford the payment monthly. 
It's a dumb decision and the car is breaking down. What do we do? Lord, we're sorry. We repent. Save us. Well, a few months later, I think it was her mom, needed a new car. She bought the car from us, took over the payments, and then she totaled it. Yay, praise the Lord. Paid off. <laughs> and what did I have to do? That ship sunk so I could go drive a 1992 Buick LeSabre with the headliner down on my head and no air conditioning. That's the ship I had to get on. It was discipline for me. It hurt my flesh to drive it around town. I promise. And that, had, that ship had to sink. But I got saved in the middle of that ocean. Listen for his word. The Lord has a word for you in season, guys. I, I just love you so much. The Lord loves you. If you've made a bunch of mistakes, don't look backwards. Paul's like, you should have listened to my advice. The Holy Spirit's like, it would have been better for you to listen. But now, don't look back. Do not look back. Listen to me right now. You should have listened back then, but you didn't. But now, listen here. Listen in this ship, even as it's storming outside. And thirdly, are you now washed up on the Isle of Malta after coming through a horrible shipwreck and you're ragged and you're wet and you don't have anything to your name and all your reputation shot in your opinion and you don't even have a ship anymore and you're just like, ugh. I'm sorry, Lord, I've just wasted it all. I've got good news for you today, church. I've got good news. If that's you, then I want you to let condemnation be lifted off in the name of Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not look back. Do not be discouraged. Right now, build up your courage. And I want you to get ready to enjoy his unusual kindness to you. You know, the Lord has unusual kindness for those of us that have made mistakes and just lost it all and we've repented and we're like, I'm so sorry, Lord. He's like, oh, you just wait, prodigal son. You just wait for the unusual amount of kindness I'm gonna show to you and hospitality and honor and fresh provision. And I'm about to bring you a new Alexandrian ship. Right, Taylors? And I'm about to blow a south wind on you and it's going to be part two. Part one ended with a shipwreck. But part two's coming. You know, the Lord is really good about taking us back to the same classroom. Israelites had to do that over and over. Fail. All right, let's go back out in the wilderness. Let's take this test again. Fail. Back out in the wilderness. Let's take this test again. Ah, oh, passed. Oh, I love you so much. Come here. Let me give you a big old hug. Now, we're going to do this just like it's 11 days from Egypt to the promised land. Now, just walk a straight line. We're going to get there. You don't have to do 40 years anymore. It's 11 days. I'm telling you, a south wind's going to blow on some of you people, and he's going to take you in part two. Like, the, the glory days are behind me. No, they weren't. The glory days are ahead of you. You're going to get to Rome. You just call on him. You let him take you there. And I want you to get ready for a divine redo in your life. Because God is the one who protects, yes? And God is the one who redeems the years that the locusts have eaten away. And the Lord is the one that provides for us, for you and for me. He's so good. He's such a good father. Wherever you're at, if you're standing at Fair Havens, or if you're in the middle of the storm, if you're just washed up on Malta right now, he's with you guys. He's for you guys. All he's looking for is you just to give up and call on his name. Amen? 
No human strength will get us there. So I want you to take a moment and just close your eyes with me. Where are you at? Where are you at? Say, Lord, where am I at in this story? I want to wait for your straight paths, Lord. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. What way lies in front of you now? What choice do you have in front of you right now? And the Lord says, will you acknowledge me in that one? Will you put that on the altar, that decision, and say, Lord, burn it up or give it back to me? Which decision? Just ask him about that if you would. kindness that leans us into repentance. Leaning on our own understanding gets us into storms, but repentance gets us into healing and supply. We just want to heed your word, Lord. What are you saying right now in my circumstance, Lord? Sometimes it's a go, sometimes it's a wait. But no man and no woman can give you that answer. Only the Holy Spirit, the capital T teacher. So we just recognize your divine protection over us. We recognize your goodness to us this morning, Lord. And I pray that we'd be a people that take straight paths. Bless these brothers and sisters, Lord. We're all just weak people. Just teach us to follow your way, Lord.